You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, open your Bibles to, uh, to Psalm uh, 31. Psalm 31, a bit of an introduction today as we get into our text. In this series that we're starting, uh, Lord willing, will last for three weeks. It's called In God We Trust. In God We Trust. We're seeking to find out what it means to have an unwavering faith, even within, especially within uh, turbulent times. Uh, we almost always do a psalm in the month of August. I love that tradition. There are after, uh, after all, there's 150 psalms. So we just stick around for 150 years and we'll get through all of them, right? right? But here we are, and again, this tradition is good because the Psalms, so often in Scripture, they speak to where we are. Uh, we resonate so easily and deeply with the author as we see the pains of life and the weakness of life, but also the declarations of faith and strength and the love of God that we so badly need within this life too. So when we're in this month right now and we dive into the psalm, we find ourselves entering in and within this particular psalm, in Psalm 31, the theme of it is really this. It's a deep personal trust in God. But more than that, it's summed up as a deep personal trust in God, listen to this though, within times of difficulty. And that's where it matters most, doesn't it? It's easy to trust God when times are going great, but what happens when things don't go great? What happens when times get tough? What happens when the world presses in? What happens when evil rises up? What happens when the trials uh, pile on and top of each other over and over again? What happens when we're tempted to doubt and we get discouraged and we find ourselves down and shedding tears of despair at times? What happens then? Who do we trust then? Where do we go then? Will we rely on then? Where will our faith be found then? That's what this psalm speaks to. This is the truth that we find within, and there's really only one answer to these questions. Our faith can only be found in the strength and the glory and the power of God. And that's why, that's why we go for right now, and God we trust. My faith cannot waver, especially when times are turbulent, especially when times are difficult. It's a plea for deliverance. It's a psalm of, help me God as my enemies come into me. And God I trust. And God, I trust. I have with me right here an American $1 bill. Can you see it? Look carefully. A little small, isn't it? And on the back, and oh, I have this American dollar bill, first of all, because it's worth so much more than a Canadian loony. <laughs> but especially on the back, it, it says, it says uh, in God we trust. And obviously, you can't see that, but here's an image on the screen for you just to be reminded of where that is, right on the top portion of the American $1 bill. You know, um, it's interesting when you study about this phrase and where it came about within the American uh, coins or, or bills. It first appeared on the American coin in 1864 and it's been uninterrupted to this day. Do you know why this phrase was first used in the States? It was first used because it was during the American Civil War that the increasing growing in conviction and fervency of faith in God was rising all the time. Isn't that so interesting? In the midst of the most difficult times that you find out what you're made of. In the midst of the most difficult times, you find out what you really depend on and who you really trust. So in the midst of the American Civil War, the fervency of religious Faith was growing within the nation south of us, and there was found within the key leaders of this nation, there was an earnest desire to recognize that which was most important. And so one of the great instigators of this phrase, in God we trust, 
And this is amazing to me. One of the reasons this happened was to prevent any association of being a heathen nation. In fact, one of the main leaders that caused this phrase to be used said, just in case America was ever to be blown up or America was to disintegrate in antiquity, the people who came along would find our coins and find out who it is we really believed in. That's amazing and that's very ironic here today. If America will come to nothing, at least they would know who it is that we truly relied on and who we believed in. Salmon P. Chase, he was the Secretary of Treasury in 1861 in the States. He wrote this to the director of the Mint in Philadelphia. He has said this, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God. Or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause the device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. Interesting. Fascinating. Amazing. It's more fascinating where you see back then, at this time, this phrase, in God we trust, there was a nation yearning to recognize God. And now today, it has become a nation yearning to eliminate God. In fact, it wasn't long ago that the group of atheists in the state tried to sue the Department of Treasury for the phrase that is found on their bills and their coins. And then there's our nation of Canada. And just in that video we saw with Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa, and Ray was talking about the way that we are founded on the biblical principles, and so we had our video team there, and just on Parliament Hill and the Peace Tower itself, and these are the things that we were grounded in from the beginning. Here's some pictures just to remind you of this again. This is the west window of the Peace Tower, and here's where the verse is etched in here, above that window where there is no vision, the people perish. And these things will be true, of course, because they are in God's Word. Here's Another verse that is found on the east window, it says, And he shall have dominion also from, from sea to sea. This is what our nation was founded upon. This is within our national anthem. This is where we began. And this is coming from Psalm 72. And the south window, again, there's the scripture here. And it says, Give the king thy judgment, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's sons. These were the principles. These are the truths whether you want to admit it or not throughout this land, this is where we have come from. A Christian biblical truth built on faith and trust in God. It's important to step back and see these things because here's my heart for this series. My heart for this series is to see where we've been, but also now to see where we're going. And here's what we know right now. Our nation is headed in a different direction from where it began. Uh, There's an increasing anti-flavor, anti-Christ flavor among us. There's an increasing cost to live for Jesus Christ. There's an increasing rejection, of course, each day of the principles that had brought us here from the beginning. And the question becomes this, is this, is when our nation is moving away from trusting God, where will we stand? As it becomes more and more popular to reject the claims and truth of Jesus Christ, what will we rely in? Because the reality is many people are caving in. Many people are capitulating. 
Many people are compromising their faith under the pressure of the culture, the desire to see the approval of men, the, 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 the want of ease, and the desire to be liked in the sense I'm going with what the world says as opposed to what God has said. Loved ones, this is happening among Christians all over the place. This is happening among churches all over the place. It starts subtle. It comes in soft. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But you compromise in one area of truth and it won't be long before you start compromising on a whole bunch of others as well and you're left with nothing. We have denominations existing now that have proven that, that have started the slippery slope and they are now empty of any good whatsoever. So the question comes for us and this is very important for us. And I'm not trying to be overdramatic right now but I'm trying to prepare the church. And here we are, and we're asking ourselves, as we slide away from Christ, where are we going to be? Where will we be found? What will we choose to trust? See, right now, this is a flag-in-the-ground type of moment. This is a moment for you and I that we need to understand when this comes, and it is. Not in fear, but to say, who am I really going to stand with? Who am I really going to trust? It reminds me of John chapter 6. And there in John chapter 6, Jesus is giving hard teachings on his body and blood. And all of a sudden, a bunch of these disciples, they turn and walk away because the teaching's too hard. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, are you going to go away as well? And Peter, bless his heart in the moment, he got this right. He says, Lord, to whom will we go? Where will we go? For you are the one that holds the words of eternal life. And we know that you are the Holy One of God. He got that right. Lord, where else can we go? You hold the words of eternal I think Jesus, in many ways, is turning to his church, turning to us, turning across this land right now, and saying, are you going to go away as well? Are you going to depart from my word? Are you going to depart from the truth that I am the way, the truth, and the life? Are you going to compromise in the faith that I've so clearly established in my word? Are you going to go away as well? And that's a great question for us right now. That's a fantastic question and a life-changing question for the church in this nation right now. Are we going to go away as well? But see, the person of faith, the person who's built in the word of God will turn and will see this and will say, Lord, where else can I go? You hold the words of eternity. There is no other option. There is no plan B. You are it. So whatever the cost is, I'd take God and eternal life than without God and eternal death. And that's why right now, again, that's why right now in this series, we're saying, Lord, flag in the ground type of moment to say this. I'm putting my stake in the ground. In God we trust. As a church. As a church. In God we trust. Amen. Amen. And... And, and, and my prayer, my prayer for you where you are, in your life, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in love and humility and gentleness, but conviction and boldness, in some sense, we will understand, just like Peter, Lord, there's no other place we can go. And so I reinforce right now, in God I trust. In God we trust. To love the lost, to be used in this nation, to see the gospel go forward, but in the end of the day, I'm sticking with God. And God, we trust. Flag in the ground. Flag in the ground. We trust the Lord. I just need to pray for 30 seconds before we get into our text right now. Father, I just, I just pray that you would be using this time so powerfully and so clearly among your church today and in this place. I just love the words of Peter. Lord, where else can we go? Who else will we turn to? You hold everything. You are everything. You are the perfect answer to all our needs. So, Lord, if you've given us everything, help us then by faith. Everything comes down now to faith. This whole message is faith. This series is faith. It's, it's trust. It's trust. It's a declaration of you. 
And I pray you be growing that with us. We're going to have hard days. We're going to have hard moments. We're going to be tempted to doubt. We'll get discouraged. But I pray in the end we'll say, Lord, you're it. You're it. And we join with David in the Psalm 31 when he was under tremendous pressure. And we say, the Lord, the Lord is my trust. The Lord is the one that I seek. Build that in us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Psalm 31. Psalm 31, verse 1 says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. You are my refuge. Love verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God, O God of truth. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Why? Why? Because you have seen my affliction, because you have known the distress of my soul, because you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy, and because you have set my feet in a broad place. Yes, I will rejoice and be glad in the steadfast love of the Lord. This is what David says in the first eight verses of Psalm 31. And God, we trust. Why? And God, we trust. There are four main reasons within this text that we put our full trust in the Lord that is for us today. Four main reasons from our text. The first one is this. I trust in the Lord because I trust that he is my refuge. I trust you. I trust you as my refuge, O God. You are my one true refuge. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. Right away, what are we seeing in the psalm? It's a psalm of trust. It's a psalm of declarative faith. Yet it's also a psalm that includes lament. David's enemies coming in on him. Trial is everywhere. And yet he declares his faith in God alone. Now, what time of David's life is this psalm occurring? The answer is we don't know for sure. And one of the reasons we don't know for sure is because so much of David's life was surrounded and filled with trouble. So much, and, and this is not trouble he caused. That's a different part of his life. This is his righteousness in God, creating uh, enemies that hate him and want to eliminate him. So much of David's life was surrounded in trouble. Now that's a timeout moment right there, just to recognize this. Isn't it interesting how among God's choicest servants, God's choicest servants are so often under the difficulty and trouble and trials of this world. You want to be used of the Lord? You want to be used of the Lord? Get ready for trial. You want to be used of the Lord? Get ready for difficulty. You want life to be easy and everything to be smooth? Don't expect God to do so much through your life because it's in the midst of difficulty. God calls from us our greatest things of faith in Him. It all comes down to faith. If life wasn't hard, we wouldn't have to trust. So what God does, he continues to allow the difficulties and trials and troubles to come upon his sons and daughters that he loves that he might use them so. That's a difficult truth, but that's a fantastic truth. And here's David, under attack, feeling pressure. I want you to notice verse 13 as well. It's really our theme verse for this series. Notice verse 13. It says so much. He says, For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. 
It's a relevant word in our day, isn't it? Terror. 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 We hear that all the time. Daily. Terror everywhere. We relate to this. Terror on every side. As they scheme together against me, notice, as they plot to take my life. Notice his response in verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. You see that? See, see, that's the difference. Tear on every side, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God, and notice he says, my times, I mean, underline this in your Bible for sure. My times are in your hand. My times are in your, tears on every side. People want to kill me, but my times are in the hand of God. I trust you, O God. Why do I trust you? Because you are my refuge. My one true refuge. And that word refuge comes up a lot in verses 1 and 2, doesn't it? And it's repeated with different synonyms as well. Can you see the synonyms in, in verses 1 and 2? There's refuge, there's, there's rock, there's, there's, there's fortress. And these words are describing reliance upon God, but also security within God. So much talk today about homeland security, but what about sovereign God security? There's nothing like Him. This term is so often used within Scripture And it's describing of a a fleeing to a fortress, a place of security within troubled times. I want you to know this. When we say, oh Lord, you are my refuge, you are my fortress, you are my rock, this isn't um, I'm hiding in the rainstorm under a shelter for temporary cover. That's not what it is. It's not, oh, help me right now, Lord, in this moment, and there I'm out from under the rain, and I'm safe from the, from the lightning, and then once that's done, then I leave and I'm on my own again. No, no, no. For God to be my refuge, this is a commitment of one's entire destiny to the Lord. This isn't just, today I need your help. This is in my life. Everything I am and who I am, I commit myself to your love and care. My destiny, my life, my will. So if you and I say, God, you are my refuge, if we mean it biblically, what we're stating is all of me, every part of me, this day and every other day, really into eternity, I commit myself to you. The character, the the mercy the salvation of God. But listen, this is where the vast majority in this world are so foolish. They seek temporary refuge in this world. What do people do? What do people do? They take cover in their lust. They find shelter in their pleasure. They seek peace in their atheism. And it's this darkened and deceived mind that cannot see that this shelter, these shelters, they will not last. Because the Bible says that the storms of God's wrath will tear it to shreds. All these shelters will be made to be nothing. The righteousness of God's judgment will prove that their foundation was built on sand. But see here, loved ones, this is the power of the gospel. When God is our refuge, we build ourselves, our lives on the rock which cannot be moved. If you look at verse 1, David says, in your righteousness deliver me. In your righteousness, God, deliver me. Now how does that make sense? It makes perfect sense in light of Romans 1 verse 17 on the screen for you. And this is the parallel of Psalm 31 and here in Romans 1 of the Old Testament and the New Testament and understanding the gospel. For Romans 1 says, for in it, it is the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God 
has been revealed. How has the righteousness of God been revealed in the gospel? Well, ultimately, the justice, the holy character of God is revealed as he makes things right, as he deals with evil, as he sends his love. But the righteousness of God through his son, Jesus Christ, has been revealed. The perfect Lamb of God who lived this life to die and to be raised from the dead. That's the righteousness of God that has been revealed. And notice how this righteousness delivers us. We are delivered from our unrighteousness to God's righteousness from faith. I love this phrase here. It meant so much to me this week. From faith for faith. The Christian life begins with faith. A footnote in my Bible on that phrase says the beginning and end of faith. Faith begins the Christian life and it ends with faith as well. We start our life in Christ with faith. But loved ones, you continue right now by faith. You show up here by faith. You live by faith. You walk by faith. You, you, you move. You love by faith. You trust, of course, by faith. This is the power of the gospel. It's revealed from faith, for faith. As is written, the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. It's interesting. It was this verse that changed Martin Luther's life. That one of his friends says made him the happiest, was the happiest day of his life. Why, why? Because when you're covered by the righteousness of Christ, you've found a refuge from death itself. You see, when the righteousness of Christ covers you, you're, you're, you're good, you're saved, you're, you, are, you, are, you are free from death, free from hell, free from Satan. This is why we make the Lord our refuge. Or we can try to find refuge in sex, We can try to find refuge in money. We can try to find refuge in possessions. But the Bible promises those refuges, they're going to hell. They're all going to hell. And this is why then the Lord, the Lord is our refuge. And when we know the Lord is our refuge by faith, it allows us to be used in very powerful ways and to do extraordinary things. John Huss He was the Bohemian reformer. He was burned at the stake in 1415. Before his accusers lit the fire, they placed on his head a crown of paper with painted devils on it. And he answered this mockery by saying, My Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake, wore a crown of thorns. Why should not I then, for his sake, wear this light crown, be it ever so humiliating? Truly, I do it willingly. After the wood was stacked up to Huss's neck, just picture that. The Duke of Bavaria asked him to renounce his preaching, trusting God completely in God's word. Huss replied, in the truth of the gospel which I preached, I die willingly and joyfully today. The wood was ignited and Huss died while singing, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, have mercy on me. How is that possible? It's possible when you know the Lord is your refuge. Because if you are hiding in the fortress of God, you know you cannot lose. And that's where faith comes in. I commend you as you wake up each morning during this series. I ask the Lord to remind us as our feet hit the floor, we will say the Lord is my refuge. Today the Lord is my refuge. Today I'm secure in him. Today I cannot lose. Today the hand of God has gotten me. Today the love of God is upon me because the Lord, the Lord alone, my house is not my refuge. My family's not my refuge. My car is not my refuge. My job is not my refuge. My bank account is not my refuge. My savings are not, it's not my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. This is why we trust him. This is why in God we trust. The Lord is my refuge. That's reason number one. Here's reason number two. I trust you as my guide, Lord. 
I trust you because I trust you as my guide. You are the one who leads me. Verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they've hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Notice in verse 3, the same truths are repeated from verses 1 and 2. When these things are repeated, that's always significant in Scripture. And we're learning that in verse 3, that as we belong to the Lord, we find ourselves within a fortress which is impenetrable. The city walls in David's day were everything. The larger and thicker the walls, the more powerful and safe you were. Because the enemy had to break through these walls. So to be in a fortress of God is to be in a fortress that will never be conquered. Will never be defeated. Now picture yourself right now. You are a child of God. Picture yourself in the fortress of God. What happens is so often is we look at the temporary things of this world and we get distracted by the different accusations and pains and trials that come at us because they're real, but it gets our vision off of God and the reality of where we actually stand and all of a sudden we make ourselves susceptible to being, to being in a place where we forget who we really are, children of the King, saved by Christ, forever redeemed, never to lose. And we get discouraged and downtrodden and so weakened by this. But listen, love, love, If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are right now in a fortress which is impenetrable. It will never be defeated. The walls can't be knocked down. It doesn't matter what Satan throws at you. You will be there forever and ever and ever and ever. So picture yourself on top of that castle looking down and saying, in your face, Satan, all right? Or or in your face, enemy, or or, you know, humbly, but, 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 but with great conviction and power. This is your reality. Can't lose, you can't be moved. You're with the rock, you're with the fortress. God is your refuge, and you hide in Him. Now, it's important though, as we understand verse 4, that even with God being our fortress, the enemy still lays traps. The opposition still lies in wait. And the imagery in verse 4 that's being presented here is uh, an animal being pursued and hunted by hunters. The devil prowls around like a lion that Satan in the Gospel of John seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the imagery here that's being presented. It's a desire to capture and kill. And so David, he sees this, but notice by faith, he rushes to the leading and the guidance of God, the one that he can trust. So what are we learning? Life's gonna be tough, amen? It's gonna be filled with trials, guaranteed. But the Lord can and will be found within our trials. Now this is such a word for us in our day. The enemy's hunting down, trying to capture and kill. Consider how the enemy lays traps today. Consider how the enemy lies in wait. Consider how the enemy uses, look here, look here, look here, look here, supposed friends in our lives that are seeking to lure us away from the Lord, his church, and the light of Jesus Christ and turn us into victims of horrendous evil. The internet itself is a feeding frenzy preying on wandering and lost souls, so often viciously trapping young people and older people as well. It's sick, it's evil, it's demonic. If you are here today and you are being lured away and enticed by things of such, you run to the Lord, you run to the Lord, you trust, you cannot trust these things that you are dabbling in. 
Run to the Lord. In God we trust. I see it now more than ever. People desperately trying to lure other people away into sin and darkness. I do. I see it now more than ever. There are people claiming love upon another person and claiming promises and claiming pleasure and claiming all these things. Come on, come with me. Come on, don't go to church. Don't go in that place. Don't listen to that guy. Don't read that Bible. Come with me. Let's have fun. Give that a break. Let's go over here and luring people into darkness. Darkness and death. It's happening all the time. And it's the device of Satan to see people hunted down and killed. We need the Lord to be our God to say, who do we trust? Who do we trust? We, we trust those who trust in God. A.W. Tozer said, follow the man who falls to God. Listen to the man who listens to God. Follow the man with oil on his forehead. You see, that's why, why the word, the word, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness. See, he leads me. God leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right here in our text, verse 3, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. I trust you, God, because you guide me for your glory. I can't trust the world, but I can trust in you, Lord. But I can trust in you. And I trust that you are guiding me for your glory. There's no other light other than Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, let me ask you, because this applies for sure to many people here right now. How are you right now being lured away, lured away from the light of Christ into the darkness of Satan? How are you being lured away right now? Is it, is it some show that you're watching? Again, what, what friend is actually pulling you away from Jesus Christ. It's not much of a friend. What website is seeking to ruin your life and destroy you by taking you away from the power and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and ripping your life into shreds? You just can't trust it. Run, right now, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Run, run! And God we trust. And God we trust. He's the guide that I can trust. He's the refuge that I trust. He's the one that I go to. Lord, help us wake up. Some young people here maybe right now. Some men here right now. All of us here right now. The Lord is my guide. Why do I trust the Lord? Reason number three. Because I trust you with my spirit, with my spirit. I love verse five. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Now the declaration of trust throughout the psalm seems to only be getting stronger. Notice in this verse how far away this is from God as one compartment among many in my life. Do you see that? Into your hand I commit my spirit, my everything, my being. I commit it to you. I give it to you. So many believers in this life, though, they need God when they need God. When they don't need God, they don't need God. And so God's just one kind of, they come to church on a Sunday morning, and then they leave. They don't see him again until next week. That's not, the, that's not into your hand I commit my spirit. That's not a whole lot of anything. And what happens is we only go to God when we think we need him. Otherwise, our life is just a string of selfish pursuits. That's so far away from this right here in the life of David. Which, by the way, is why trouble so often is so good for us. Heightens our senses and our love. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Notice, I love this this week, notice the phrase, into your hand. 
I want to circle that or something. The awesome, glorious hand of God. I found out this week the Bible, give or take a few verses, has 121 verses speaking about the hand of God. Let's, um, let's discover a few together right here. A little word study on the hand of God in Scripture. Because into your hand, what kind of hand are we committing our spirits to? This hand, this is awesome. Psalm 145. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's a pretty sweet hand, don't you think? You open your hand and every living thing finds satisfaction. Who else can bolster that? No one. God is awesome. This is his hand. This is his hand. Here's another verse. Psalm, or Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? It's a pretty big hand. How much water can you hold in the hollow? This is, this is the hollow of your hand. How much water can you hold? Teaspoon? Maybe two? If you're gifted and blessed? God? He can hold all the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. Awesome. Those are big hands. That's a powerful hand. That's an incredible hand. That's a hand that answers to no one. Amen? This is our God. This is, this is his glory. This is, this is who he is. Two verses on the hand of God. 119 more to go. All right? Here's another one. Psalm 95. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. What do your hands make? I'm pretty good, man. I can make like knitting and stuff. And, and I can make like some like, you know, carpentry. Well, that's great. That's great. That's great. Well, God can make the earth. All right? He formed everything with his hands. Awesome. Here's another one. Isaiah 64, but now, Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Your heart beating right now? Good. Your lungs breathing right now? Good. Your mind thinking? God formed you. He made you. Every cell has been made by him. You are his work. Him. Those are pretty awesome hands. Here's another one. Job 12.10. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Wow. Every, everything, all of life. In the hand of our God. And right in our text here today. How much more does this become significant? My times are in your hand. I like my life being in that hand. I like my times being in this hand. And one more verse. Here's uh, the martyr Stephen calling out and saying, Did not my hand, he's quoting God here, Did not my hand make all these things? Did not my hand make all these things? Now, a little word study on the hand of God. Now, let's go back to verse 5. And notice, into your hand, into your hand, I commit my spirit. That sheds some light for me now, does it for you? That's a hand that I'm willing to give my life to. That's a hand that secures me. That's a hand that holds on to me, never let me go. That's a, that's a hand that is capable of anything and everything. That's a hand that is awesome. Makes me want to sing, he, he's got the whole world in his hands, He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The whole world. In He's got the little bitty babies. He does, man. Every one. They're his. In his hands. He's got, the, he's got the mummies and the daddies. He's got them all. They're all in his hand. Listen, he's got, he's got you. He's got, he's got, he's got Adrian in his hands. And he's got Eric in his hands. And he's got Christy. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Listen, and he's got you. I want you to hear that right now, man. You take this from a nice song to sing. You take this as theological truth. 
Your life in Jesus Christ has been placed the unstoppable, all-powerful, unconditional, loving hand of God. And you receive that right now as God's grace upon your life again. You're in God's hand. Listen, you're good. You're good. It's going to work out, all right? It's going to work out. You're good. Because he's got you in his hand. No, no wonder then in God we trust. No one else we can talk about this way. There's no one even close in this life. But the almighty God, sovereign God of the universe, he looks down upon you right now. And you're in here, here in church at this moment, at this time, right now, to hear God say to you, I got you in my hands and I love you more than you even have a clue. And I will never let you go. Ever. And so David knows this and he believes this. And so he says, into your hand, here's my whole spirit. I commit it to you. And this statement becomes only more powerful as Jesus said this from the cross. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. What a moment, quoting Psalm 31. Stephen, again, the martyr in Acts chapter 7. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit for sure an allusion to Psalm 31. And how many saints down through the ages facing death have used this verse from Psalm 31 to say, into your hand I commit my spirit. John Huss, who we mentioned already, when he was being burned at the stake, the bishop conducting the ceremony ended with these chilling words. He said, and now we commit thy soul to the devil. And Huss replied calmly, John Huss said, I commit my spirit into thy hand, Lord Jesus Christ. Unto thee I commend my spirit, which thou hast redeemed. You see, loved ones, you see, loved ones, we trust the one who redeems. The one who holds us, the one who's above all things. Because when verse 5 says, into your hand I commit my spirit, O Lord, faithful God. That, that's, that's God of truth, maybe, in your translation. That's awesome. The world is lies, God is truth. I cannot trust the world, but I can trust my God. Faithful God, God of truth, a holy, immutable, unchanging God, majestic in every way, all-powerful, awesome, the God who is truth. This is why I trust him. Reason number three, I trust you with my spirit, leads us to reason number four. I trust you love me personally. I, I trust you, Lord, because I trust that you love me personally and intimately. Verse, verse six, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. Notice, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction, because you've known the distress of my soul. You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy because you have set my feet in a broad place. David says, I rejoice in the love of God. I, I'm so glad for God's love, but notice why he is so glad for God's love. You should mark this up in your Bible. There are four reasons there, and they're really easy to see within the text in verses seven to eight because you have, there's, there's four you haves. Here's why I rejoice in, in God's love. You have, you have, you have, you have. Notice the first you have. Because you see my affliction. I rejoice in your love because you're not a distant God. You're an imminent God. You, you dwell with me. You, you are high and above, but you are also dwell with the lowly. Hey, listen to this, loved ones, right now, right here. Ready? Listen to this. God sees your affliction. Your troubles this week, 
Your troubles this week, your troubles today, he, see, he sees it. He sees it. Because he loves you. None of that, none of that goes unnoticed. And he says, he says, because you've known the distress of my soul. I rejoice in God's love because he knows when my soul's distressed. He knows when I'm hurting. He knows when I'm frustrated. He knows when I'm discouraged. I love this. He, he sees every single tear you shed. And he keeps them all in a bottle. Every worry you face. He sees, he knows, he cares. Hey, hey. Who else? Who else can say such things in our lives? So many people misjudge us. They don't know us. They blame us. They accuse us. They don't understand us. They don't see. They don't know. God sees it all. And God knows it all. He never misjudges us. He never misunderstands us. That's why we trust Him. He sympathizes with us. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but attempted in every respect, he is able to understand what we're going through because Jesus Christ came and lived this life and died and was raised again. I rejoice in God's love because he sees my affliction. He knows the distress of my soul. David says, because you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. Are you, are you saved in Christ? Well, then that means you have been redeemed from death, Satan, and hell itself. You cannot lose. You are forever victorious in Jesus Christ. That's love. That's love. He gave his son that you might live, that I might live. That's love. That's, I rejoice in that love. I have not been given over to the enemy. And here's the last reason. We're not done quite yet. One more reason that we rejoice in God's love is because you said, David says, you've set my feet in a broad place. Remember, in this context, David's uh, feeling crushed. He's pressured. He's on the, on the edge of the cliff with the enemies coming at him. Oppression is all around him. Yet in this moment, this is such a good truth, in this moment, while feeling so attacked, David says, yet you set my feet in a broad place. What's he saying? He's saying, in reality, as much as I feel closed in, and as many of us do right now, so much coming in, just so much coming in, the culture of evil coming, coming in, but in reality, in Christ, I have been set my feet upon a broad, safe, and secure place. It's called the reality of glory in Jesus Christ. It's the reality of the gospel in my life. I'm safe, I'm secure. I'm, if, I, if I can only see what is ahead of me in Christ, then I would not fear, then I would long with expectation for the glory that awaits me, that is guaranteed. That's what David says, you have set my feet in a broad place. As hard as it is, as crushing as it can be, I'm so secure in my God. And notice what David is doing here, the Last thing I want to show you right here. I just want to show you this principle. If you look at verse 7, this is such good theology and application here. He says, I will rejoice. He's speaking to the future. I will rejoice and be glad in your love. Now, now why does he say that? Notice in verse 7, because you have. Okay? You have, you have. So notice, David says here, look right here, loved ones, don't miss this, Okay? In the future, I will rejoice because in the past, you have. You see that? 
I know my future because God has proved himself faithful in the past. Because you have, because you have, because you have, and you're unchanging, you're an immutable God, therefore I turn from my past, recognizing my present, and moving forward in my future that my God is faithful, my God is awesome, my God is love, and therefore I will rejoice in your love. I will in the time not yet lived in my life, I will rejoice in love because of the past you have. And that is applicable for every single person here right now with faith in Jesus Christ. No matter where you are, what you've done, or what you're going through, I will because you have. And that's, that's when we say, in God we trust. In God we trust. Because Lord, to whom else will we go and where else will we go? You hold the words of eternal life and you're the Holy One, Son of God. There's nowhere else to go. So the evil increases, but then, listen, never been a greater time, flag in the ground moment. Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you by faith. By faith, I'm with you. Let's pray. And Lord, by faith right now, I pray we are with you. By faith, declaring our trust in you. Loved ones, where you are right now, just being still. You, just, you, just, you, can, you can tell the Lord with all the situations that are in your life right now. You can tell the Lord, I, I trust you. I just encourage you to say that to him right now. I trust you with my trial. I trust you with my future. I trust you are leading me and guiding me. I trust you, Lord. Lord, forgive me for not trusting you maybe in the past, but today, Lord, today I put my flag in the ground and I say, I'm not trusting money anymore. I'm not trusting my job. I'm, I'm trusting in you. God, forgive me for my doubt and forgive me for my discouragement or, or forgive me, Lord, for getting led astray by the things of this world. But right now, Lord, I, I'm called back to you and I trust in you. I trust in you because you love me and you will never, ever let me go. Lord, I, I say right now, Lord, my times are in your hand. Tear on every side but my times are in your hand. So ignite a faith, Lord. Ignite a, a fire of faith that will burn so bright. Oh God, would you do that? Hear the praise and worship of your people even now. In Jesus' name, amen.